welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Well, welcome to Awakening on Christmas week. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. If we haven't met yet, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And what we want to do during this Advent season is give you time to reflect on on this kind of theological word called incarnation, what it meant for God to become man, for God to step into the human story and to become like us. And we've been doing that by taking kind of a historic approach, a traditional approach, which is to reflect on words the church across the world and across history has reflected upon these words, these words up here, hope, faith, joy, and today we come to love. A word that's overused and used a lot, uh, we want to explore what the word love really means. And to do that, we're going to look at the story of Mary in the Christmas story. Each week, we've been taking a word, considering it, uh, next to some of the famous Christmas stories and the famous Christmas characters. And today, we'll look at the word love and the person of Mary. It's funny, love, during the Christmas season, don't we... uh, the only way we really know how to express it is through giving each other things we do not need nor want. That's how we do it. That's the only way we know how to do it in America, the land of the free, the home of the consumer. We just, all we know how to do is give gifts to try to express love. I'm, I'm a bad gift giver. Is anybody else just bad at gift giving? Like, I wish I was selfless and like Jesus, like those of you that like are great gift givers. I wish I was like you, but I'm just, I'm not like that. It's really hard. I I don't see things in stores and be like, that would be perfect for that person. And I wish I was more like that. I'm also like maybe not the best like gift receiver. Do you guys know the the anxiety that comes with receiving a gift? And like somebody gives it to you and you're unwrapping it and they're watching you and they're like, huh, huh, yeah, you like it? Yeah, And you're like, oh, you know, you unwrap. And then we do that performative like, oh, you know, it's like this weird performative gratitude of an appliance. We do not know what it does, but we unwrap. Oh, is it grandma? An apple peeler? I've always wanted one. You know, like we, it's, it's, it's all just like trying to show love for each other and in the exchange of, of gifts. And it doesn't always work. You know, I was reminded of this thinking about the word love and also seeing this Peloton ad that went viral. Have you seen this? Let's roll the tape. Okay, you ready? Yes. Now. A Peloton? Give it up for our first time riding. Right, first ride. I'm a little nervous, but excited. Let's do this. Five days in a row. You surprised? I am. 6 a.m. Yay. Rising with the sun. That was totally worth it. Let's go, Grace of Austin. 50 rides. She just said my name. A year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me. Thank you. This holiday, give the gift of Peloton. Now, you may look at that and go, what was wrong with that? I mean, it seems like a nice ad. But the internet, our grand Supreme Court justice system, (laughs) did not like this ad. They trashed it. In fact, calling it sexist. You know, you have this guy giving this girl this bike that's like, hey, maybe you should get in shape, you know. Um, Not a good move, dudes. Just let me give you that as a freebie today. Don't, don't do that. Um, you know, or, or, and also a little dystopian, you know, there's this commentary about like, you know, this, this woman like trapped in her suburban mansion as she tries to pedal away. Um, (laughs) 
If you just look at her face, watch the video enough times, you know, it'll become disturbing. I I watched it several times to prepare for you. Um, I also read the Bible a lot. But, like, um, yeah, I'm kind of cribbing a little bit from The Guardian, the United Kingdom, a UK newspaper. It says says this, like, that was sexist and dystopian. Uh, It was, critics were saying, this woman was already slim at the start of the implication uh, that her partner thinks she needs to get fitter, lose weight, was patronizing and damaging. Actually, you know, it's crazy. After this video dropped, this ad dropped, Peloton's value dropped $1.9 billion. I think they'll be okay. But, like, I know. It's like, only in the Silicon Valley would you get an audible groan with someone's, like, you know, evaluation drop. Oh, you know. <laughs> Anywhere else in America, they'll be like, yeah, screw those guys, you know. <laughs> Silicon Valley's like, their value dropped? How will they be okay? Um, even though it's a tone-deaf ad, right? I don't think it's reading like the cultural moment right now. It's kind of tone-deaf, right? It, it actually, kind of deeper, it, it just is, isn't really what a gift is, is it? You know, giving somebody a, an exercise bike like this, right? It's not really... Um, it's, it, it actually, look at, look at this pastor, Ryan Tanetti. He, he actually wrote this in response to the ad. He said, Peloton's problem isn't that they transgress this or that ideology, which they probably did, but that they undermine the very logic of gift, like what a gift actually is. And he, he kind of compares it to the gospel. Right? He's a pastor, Lutheran pastor, so he's like putting it through the prism of the gospel of Jesus. So the gift, capital G, doesn't come with strings attached. It's not bait and switch or good news gotcha. The gospel is an unsolicited, unmerited boon bestowed on God's utterly unworthy creatures. He isn't dropping a hint about cleaning up our act or getting our souls in shape, you know, the way it's like, a guy gives a workout, like, dropping a hand to, like, um, maybe you'll like this bike. Um, heaven doesn't deal in passive aggression. I love that line. Yeah. When we think about what a gift is and we think about love, I want us to think right now about how we might sometimes receive Jesus the way that you might receive a Peloton bike, which is this. We receive it as a tool to be used. We receive the gospel and we receive Jesus as a device for our own self-improvement that works on top of our already privileged existence. The way this woman living in this nice house, she's got a daughter, seemingly doesn't really care about, but like, you know, she's got this nice home and the Peloton bike is a complement upon the, the, um, the, the life that she lives. Many Americans receive Jesus, and those in the Western world receive Jesus just as that, because we have what Tim Keller calls a middle-class spirit, meaning you may be middle-class, may not consider yourself middle-class, maybe upper-class, maybe you don't consider yourself in any class, but you have a middle-class spirit, and what does that mean? It means that the things that we really, really need, we already have, and so Jesus comes as just a compliment to get our soul into shape, in the same way that, uh, you know, an exercise bike would get our our body into shape. But this is not love. Love is not a transaction. I'm going to give you this so that you use it and improve your life. It's not really a gift or an act of love. Love is not transactional in that way. This is not a gift so much as a prescription, right? And we often think that, you know, that's what the gospel is. And when we think about this word love, I, I, I want to give you this. To move away from how am I loving God how am I loving God, to how has God loved me? Because that's really what the gift is in Jesus. The coming of Jesus is not a gift to be used. It's 
actually a gift to be treasured. When Jesus was born, the first person to realize the true gift of Jesus was his mother, Mary, who heard about him for the first time, right? Who was the first person to hear about it and her relative, uh, Elizabeth. And there's this line, you know, at the end of the Christmas story in Luke chapter two, verse 19, it says this. It's after Mary has given birth to Jesus. Look at this verse. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Keep that verse up there. There Mary was after she had given birth to the baby, after the wise men had visited, after the shepherds came, perhaps the apocryphal drummer boy made an appearance, um, even though he's not in the Bible. Who, who, all these people come through, they worship him. And it says at the end of it, after the people leave, that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I can remember as a boy, my grandfather, he would have us all read the Christmas story, Luke chapter two, verses one through 19. And all of us cousins would pass the Bible around and read different sections of the story before we got to open presents. My grandfather, a tall, stern German man named Gerhard Gustav Poppinga would sit in pleasure as his grandchildren read the Christmas story. And I'll always remember, we would go through verse 19. Go right before the presentation of the temple. We would stop on this line, Luke 2, 19. There it was. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I can remember as a boy reading that, hearing that, thinking, what does that mean? What does it mean to treasure something? Have you, have you treasured something in your life? Do you know what this means? Have you treasured a gift? Have you treasured a person? To, to, to know this experience of treasuring is to, to know you never want to lose something. That's what it means to treasure. To never want to forget its glory, its joy, its purity. To treasure a person means you never want to take them for granted, never want to pass them by, always want to keep your gratitude on the front burner of your heart. That's what treasuring really means. And, you know, whether it's material items or people, it's strange that Christmas time often unfortunately highlights that which we do not possess, as opposed to what we do possess. Here we sit, wondering what we don't have materially, and wanting it, coveting it, and also looking around the dinner table, realizing who's there and who's not. People who have passed, people who, different seasons of life, have transitioned away from knowing us, and this makes me think as a pastor... One of the best things I could do for you today as we walk through the Christmas week is to remind you what you do have, what you do possess, because all of the world is going to tell you that you don't have enough, and your own heart and memory will be quick to remember the people you're missing. What do you have? What do you possess? What can you treasure? You have Christ. To receive him and to know him is what I want to give to you. I want to actually give you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to a church in Corinth a long time ago. He says this, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? That's my word into our community. You know, it makes me think this line, that Jesus Christ is in you, meant something to Mary as much as it should mean something to us. In fact, Christianity Today's cover story this month was called The First Christian, and it was a kind of theology of Jesus in light of Mary. And these two scholars, from, I think they're from Wheaton, they conclude this. I love this conclusion in their article. The entire Christian life is, in a way, mirrored by the experience of Mary. Each one of us, both male and female, are called to live in Christ and he in us. 
we are all expected to carry Christ at the core of our being, like Mary carried Christ in her womb. Yeah, this is a theology term called union with Christ, to be joined with Christ, to be together with Christ. Just as Mary carried Jesus, so Christians carry Christ throughout the world. So as she treasured these things, pondering them in their heart, let's learn from Mary and consider how can we treasure Jesus this morning? How can we treasure Jesus as we walk into the Christmas season? Three thoughts for you from Mary's life on treasuring Jesus. The first is his that he's a gift. To remember that Jesus is a gift is to remember and treasure Jesus. When we first meet Mary, you know, Mary's not a princess. It's not a typical fairy tale story where you meet this princess. Actually, you meet a girl from a junk town called Nazareth. She's not royalty. She's not privileged. It says this in Luke 1.26. The angel Gabriel came at the sixth month, sent from, the city, from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. That word, by the way, Nazareth alone would have been like, like, who goes to Nazareth? That would have been a distraction. People say, how, how would an angel go to Nazareth? 27, it was to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This is important to realize that God is a gift, that Jesus is a gift to us, and a gift in this way, that Jesus comes to those of us that are from Nazareth. Jesus comes to those who lack resources and privilege this is not, God does not come to people who just need to get a little better, who have the middle class spirit, the middle class life, and just need a little addition to their already successful life. God comes to Nazareth. He comes to the outskirts, to the junk towns. And God shows up to a desperate people with no way out, the people with no guide, no resources, no prospects. Jesus is given to us not as an addition. He is given to us as a necessity because when we receive Jesus, we receive him the way Mary received him, as a beggar, as someone who had no prospects and no future outside of what God was about to give her. The angel goes on, verse 28. He came to her and he said this, Greetings, O favored one, Luke 1, 28. O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. The word favor appears twice in this uh, little section. Said in verse 28, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then later in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. I love I was talking about this text with Ryan, and he was like, yeah, Mary had the favor of God, but was unaware of it. Think about this to be unaware of the favor of God. She was just this girl about to be married to this guy from Nazareth. She was never going to make it to the city, never going to make it to any big place of prominence or power. She was just going to be a girl from Nazareth her whole life. And yet God saw her differently. God didn't see her as a girl from Nazareth. God saw her as the favored one. I wonder, are you aware that you have the favor of God? Many of us walk around like Mary, thinking, why would God ever think of me? Or maybe more painfully, why would I ever think of God? Why do I need God? Why would God need me? All the while, the favor of God through the gospel of Jesus is hovering over your life. Man, we walk around trying to present ourselves as if we don't need God. We work really hard to do this. 
Don't, don't we accumulate for ourselves a kind of life and curate it so as people could think we're independent and not dependent? When in actuality, God sees through this. And I hope maybe during Christmas, you could see through it as well. That so much of what we do in America is farce. So much of what we clothe ourselves with, literally, present ourselves with virtually, is ultimately of no value and has nothing to do with who we actually are on the inside. On the inside, we know we can't make it. On the inside, you have that crippling feeling like something bad could happen and you wouldn't know how to handle it. Inside, in the interior experience, you don't know how to conquer anxiety. In your inner life, you're, you have loneliness that's paralyzing at times. And while you present yourself, yourself to be a certain kind of way to certain kinds of people, God sees through that and calls you in the midst of that sin and alienation and loneliness, he calls you favored. And I wonder, do you know that the favor of God is with you? You see, treasuring Jesus is remembering he is a gift to you that you do not deserve. Tim Keller says, the gospel is not to be achieved, it is to be received. We want to achieve the gospel. We want to receive Jesus just for a little bit. We want to have one reception like you would receive a Peloton bike and then use him and achieve a kind of spiritual shape-up. We want to become uh, spiritually fit. So we do all of these activities to try to remind ourselves of how good we are so we can be even better. But all it is is self-righteousness that God see through, sees through. No, to treasure Jesus is to treasure him as a receptive gift, something we receive. So long as the gospel is about something you, re, you achieve, you'll never treasure Jesus. You'll actually be spinning your wheels, talking about your walk with God, your relationship with him, all the things you must do, this and that, and you'll miss that he has come to you, that he has given himself to you, and that you are his. And to treasure Jesus means to remember we receive him first. Secondly, we not only receive him as a gift, but we also realize it's a valuable gift. It's incredibly valuable. The girl Mary, actually, right after she receives this gift, she goes and visits a relative of hers, Elizabeth, as she was told to do. Luke 1, verse 39, it says this. In those days, Mary arose, haste to the hill country, to a town of Judah. She's with Zechariah and Elizabeth, her relatives. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby that was actually in Elizabeth's womb, which would be John the Baptist. This is earlier in Luke 1. The baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among women. What is the fruit of her womb? What is the fruit of Mary's womb? It's not only Jesus, but it is the work that Jesus will do. The work of Jesus is, is, is to save. The work of Jesus is to die on a cross. The work of Jesus is to be propitiation for sins, a replacement for our loneliness. A one who stands in the gap of our sin and the destructive things that surround us, Jesus would die receiving that, taking that. And so she, Elizabeth's declaring a kind of blessing, saying, blessed is the fruit of your womb, not only the person of Jesus, but his work that he's come here to save. And we treasure Jesus as a valuable gift because he has given us that which we could not provide ourselves, forgiveness. One of the things is not only are we lonely or anxious, but we're, we're filled with shame about our own anxieties and loneliness. Not only do we struggle with bitterness, but we're ashamed that we're bitter. 
this is what sin is. I know sin is a very Christian word. It's very biblical. But we have to hold on to it because it presents to us an insurmountable problem. You see, we use words like evil. We use words like wickedness. We use words like injustice. All of these words, human beings have been able to convince themselves that they can fight it, that they can make it better. But sin is that which cannot be conquered by humankind. Sin is the cancer. Sin is the, the thing that we can't beat. It's the disease that rots human life that we can't escape. And it seems like every time we try to do something to fix it, we make the problem worse. Sin is the thing Jesus came to absolve in us, to heal us from it. And this is why he is so valuable. And this is also why with a middle-class spirit, it's nearly impossible to understand. Because so long as we have this idea that Jesus is more like a Peloton bike, we will simply see him as a moderate improvement to our already awesome life. Jesus does not come as a moderate improvement to an already awesome life. We see him, we want him to be a product that can be used. We don't need a whole new life. We just need a little bit of a better life. We need to be a little bit more mindful. We need to meditate a little bit more so we'll use prayer in Jesus' names. We need to be mindful so we'll just think about verses to help us be calm. And we use all these solves that, that kind of go across our life that don't end up being the complete replacement of it. This is to miss the value of who Jesus Christ is. We want an addition. Christ comes as a complete replacement. We want a device, a suggestion, good advice, but God thunders in as a substitute. He comes not as something we've always wanted. He comes as the thing we've always needed. Yeah, and this is why it's really hard when you and I live, most, most of us in this room live lives where if we really need something, we purchase it. We don't understand what it's like to receive a gift and to receive it as something we did, not just wanted that could kind of improve our life, but actually something we desperately, desperately needed this is why it's really important. You know, the Bible talks about having fellowship with the poor. That's why it's really important to know people who are materially poor because they access this. It's like a door kicks open to the gospel and they can walk through it so much easier because they know what it's like to receive what they need as a gift. We don't really know how to do that. This makes me grateful for our partnership with Del Mar. You know, Nassi mentioned earlier, like we went there this last week and gave gifts to these kids that are materially poor. They have very little. And I was thinking, you know, last year I was able to be in the room for a lot of them. And I can remember uh, giving these gifts to all these kids. It was awesome. We gave this kid a bike. I remember one time we gave, um, gave like, you know, all these gift cards and stuff like that. And, um, and there was this box that was coming out, and I knew what was in it because I think I helped wrap it. In this box, I knew it was toiletries. And I was a little nervous to give it to this kid because I was like, is this going to be like one of those bad gifts you get from like an unwanted uncle? You know, like, is this, this going to be like a thanks, you know? This girl walks in, myself and Nassim and Catherine Grajan were there and she unwraps it. It was in this plastic tub, I remember, and she opens the plastic lid and on the top was shampoo and conditioner. I remember his head and shoulders. And she picks it up and she just starts to weep. She just starts to cry. And I can remember her holding it against her chest crying, holding shampoo. And she said, I haven't washed my hair in three months. You don't know how much this means to me. And we were like, man, you, your hair looks so beautiful. And I just remember her saying like, yeah, I brush it a lot. 
And you could see in her as she was receiving this gift, the life of shame she was leading was disappearing before her eyes. Because when you receive a gift that you actually need, it's transformative. When you receive a gift that you want, it's additional. We forget because we've been so blinded by the stuff we own that Christ comes to us not like a Peloton bike, but a little bit more like a bottle of shampoo. Jesus comes as the cleansing agent to that which we cannot do for ourselves. No amount of brushing, no amount of manicured and pedicuredness can take us away from the dirtiness we feel inside. This girl wandering the halls of Del Mar was filled with shame, but now brought into confidence and beauty by the reception of a gift for something she desperately needed. The gospel comes to you not with what you want. It comes with what you need. And sometimes we just don't know we need it until we encounter in ourselves or in another this kind of moment where we see what Jesus can actually do for humanity. Our response to Jesus is then a little bit more like her response. Her response was gratitude and confession. She received the shampoo and was incredibly grateful to know that it had been provided for her, that which she could not provide for herself. And she confessed, I haven't, I haven't felt myself in three months. I've been, I, I don't know what I've, where I am or what I've done. And these metaphors, right, they end up breaking down all the time like all metaphors because it's brilliant. It's not just in the analogy or the metaphor that we can find. They all break down because what's found is the truth, which is that Jesus really didn't come as anything. He didn't come as a device to be used like Peloton or even as a salve and a balm like the head and shoulders. You see, Jesus was even greater than this. He came as him. He came as a man, as a human being. And just as the baby Jesus was given to Mary to hold in her arms, so God has given us in Christ himself so that we can hold Christ in us. No longer do we have to treat God as alien and far off where he's just kind of depositing us advice from heaven. No, because of the baby in a manger, Jesus comes to us and gives us not a device or a thing, he gives us himself. And we, during this Christmas season, get to treasure him as the valuable gift and hold him in our lives in the same way that Mary held him in, his, in hers. And lastly, this is what I'm saying, is that the gospel, to treasure Jesus, it means he's a gift, it means to realize he's valuable. And finally, it means to realize he's yours. Strange. Did you catch this in the end of that story? Mary and Elizabeth. Elizabeth looks at Mary and she says, blessed are you. And at the end, she says this, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Do you hear all the my's and me's in there? How can it be? How can it be that you and this my Lord would come to me? It's not her baby. It, it's not her life, but it is her Lord. She recognized something you and I now must recognize today, which is that Jesus came as the child of Mary, but was born Lord of all. Jesus was conceived in Mary, but born to the world, to us, to be granted unto us. A child is born to us. A son is given, Isaiah 9. Do you realize 
The great hope of the gospel is not that God showed up for a limited time only, but God came and deposited himself in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. He now gifts himself to you today to be treasured, to say the same thing Elizabeth said. How can it be that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We say the same thing today. Christians today can echo Elizabeth's great saying and say, how can it be that my Lord has come to me? How can it be? Ah, yeah, you start to see the hymn, O Holy Night, start to resonate maybe a little bit more. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The soul felt its worth when he appeared. And he's appearing to you today in Awakening Church in 2017. Or 2019, what year is it? (laughs) I just had a kid. 2019. (laughs) That the Lord shows up here. And he shows up in our songs and in the scriptures. And he shows up in your neighbor. And today Jesus shows up and he asks you to come to the table where there is bread and a cup. And the bread signifies his coming to you breaking so that you could be made whole in the cup here that you might receive the blood of the new covenant that was shed for you and on behalf of all people everywhere. How can it be that the mother of my Lord would come to me? How can it be that my Lord would come to me? Well, how can it be? Through his death and his resurrection. He comes to you now. And so will you treasure Jesus? Will you realize, as Paul reminded, don't you realize that Jesus Christ is in you, the hope of glory? And so today, we're going to light this candle as the band comes out. We've been lighting candles at Advent because it shows us the light and the darkness, representing each word that we've reflected upon. And today, we light the candle of love. And as I light this candle, and as you stare at it, As we look to Jesus, I want you to think about the love of God. Don't be thinking right now about all the things you must do for God, about all the ways you must perform for God, but consider not how you will love God, but how God has loved you in Christ. As we reflect on that, we will receive the gospel and realize this. You might have received Jesus a long time ago, but you got to receive him every day. You maybe have never received Jesus before, And it's time today to receive Jesus as the treasure that he is. And so if that's you, I would confess similarly in the way that Elizabeth confessed. To pray during this worship set and ask God, God, I am weak, but you have come to me in Jesus. And I'm thankful for that gift. And to do what Christians have done for thousands of years, which is to come to the table and not take, and come to the table and not provide, but come to the table and receive the gift that's been given to you. It's laid here before us to remind us of the essence of the gospel, which is that you are not the one who makes it happen. God is the one who has done it on your behalf. So may we rest and treasure Jesus Christ.